Um, yeah, so, so this morning we're, we're wrapping up uh, the fifth chapter of uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're in uh, Galatians chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Galatians chapter 5, we're covering verses 22 through 26. And uh, the title of this morning's message is Fruit Worth Bearing. Fruit Worth Bearing. And so let's begin by reading these verses, which uh, come right after what we covered very thoroughly last week. Beginning in verse 22, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning committing our time in your word to you, asking that you would give us understanding, that you would help us, Lord, to be able to recognize these things, the fruit of the Spirit, that we would keep in step with your Spirit in applying, Lord, your word to our lives, to your glory, that we would not walk according to the works of the flesh, but we would instead walk in the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing. And we ask, Lord, that you would do just a wonderful and mighty work in each and every one of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, fruit worth bearing is what we have before us. Last week we learned how there is a very real spiritual battle that is taking place between the spirit and the flesh. Uh, it's not something that um, is imaginary. It's not something that maybe is happening or is not. But it's something with great certainty. And I can say with confidence um, that is going on. Uh, and we recognize that. We learned about that. And we covered it very well last week. And there is a real danger. As we, we went through, it was something that uh, I, I hope the Lord really brought conviction upon our hearts as we went through understanding uh, the works of the flesh. You know, we can sometimes laugh at those things and we, we chuckle. We, we receive them lightly. And yet, there is a seriousness behind those things as we realize that perhaps they're a part of our lives. Because here's what the Apostle Paul warned. As that section ends in verse 21, he says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and so that should bring great conviction upon us. Again, those aren't things to, to laugh at, not things that we should joke about, but things that we should take serious and allow the Holy Spirit truly to bring conviction upon our hearts that we would turn, that we, we would confess. Confession is simply this. I agree with you, Lord. Your word is truth. In my life, perhaps in certain areas, do not reflect that truth, that is being in line with it, but are rather things that are a reflection of opposition to it. So therefore, Lord, I confess, I agree with you. And 
So in confession, there's also the part of repentance. Repentance is simply a turning. It's, it's a 180. Um, it's like saying, you know, if you just confess, it's like confessing that you're going in the wrong, wrong direction, and yet in your vehicle you keep going in the wrong direction. That's confession without repentance, and it will do you no good, right? And so repentance is doing a 180 and going in the opposite direction. That's what repentance is. So that's what confession is. That's what repentance is. And that's what I, I would hope that as we studied through those scriptures, those verses last week, that perhaps in some way, shape, or form, if, if we're not in line with those, then it's a reflection of our hearts, and we confess that, and we repent. When you're doing something with full knowledge, you cannot claim ignorance or even that you've been deceived more than likely, you're not only in full rebellion against God, but you're also justifying why you do what you do. And unfortunately, you're influencing others to do the very same thing. And so you're not deceived. You're not doing it in ignorance. You're doing it with full knowledge. And therefore, you yourself are a deceiver. And that's a strong word, and I understand that. But that's exactly what we are when we're doing that in, with full knowledge of the truth. You understand what I'm saying? That makes sense. Hopefully you understand what I'm saying. And, and again, there's good news as we go through. There's always good news. As those things are revealed to us, how it is that God in His grace and His mercy and His compassion and what He desires for us is that we be restored, reconciled in a right relationship to Him. The further warning that Jesus had for those who were leading others astray, is that it would be better if a millstone was wrapped around their necks and they were tossed into the deep sea than for one of them, than for them to lead a little one astray, according to Matthew 18.6 and Luke 17.2. So it's serious. It's not something, again, that we should take lightly. But the Apostle Paul was writing to the Galatians to instead... Submit to the leading and influence of the Spirit because the Spirit will always lead us to Jesus and not away from Him, to life, not destruction and division. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, and that's the good news. It's, we need to be warned of that which is not of the Lord in order to realize that which is of the Lord. There are works or fruit worth rejecting. We looked at that last week. And there is fruit worth bearing. And this morning we'll be learning about this fruit of love that is worth producing in our lives. This morning we will identify what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. What we do with that which opposes it and hinders its growth in our lives. And what it means to keep in step with the Spirit as we live by Him and with His direction. So, number one, let's look at how to identify the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 through 23. Look with me again as we look at these verses, which the Apostle Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In these short two verses, much is covered. And we can learn quite a bit from it. I remember when I was a kid taking a trip to Northern California uh, to visit and to spend some time with family up there. 
And I remember there was a, a moment where I was invited to go see how the potatoes were harvested from the fields. Among, I believe, is, uh, it was, is it pecans and almonds that they grew up there as well? It was just among orchards as well, the, these fields. Just beautiful up there. And Dixon is just southwest of Sacramento, just so you have an idea of where it's at. So I took a fun drive in the tractor. I was a young kid, and I remember uh, taking a, a, a drive. In. Now, they don't stop the tractors as they're working. Uh, have you ever seen how they work in the fields? They don't stop. They just keep going. So I remember going with, uh, with someone, one of the, the people that, that were working the fields, and I remember having to run alongside the tractor and being like thr- thrown up into the tractor. And so they, it was nice and air-conditioned, air and, uh, and it was fun. But then we got down off the tractor, and uh, we went onto the platform that the tractor was pulling. On this platform, there was a conveyor belt that pulled up all the potatoes. Well, with those potatoes came all kinds of other things. Uh, there were some, some weeds, some bushes, some rocks, and, and, uh, and branches that, that are out there. Uh, but there were also... <laughs> I remember being on the platform and being behind the line of workers that were going through and, and sorting out and tossing out, you know, rocks and all kinds of other things. When I heard a scream, I heard a scream, everyone drew back, and it was a snake. A snake was slithering through, and everybody was just freaking out. So, so but one thing that they had to do, and, and this was their job, they had to know how to identify what a good potato looked like and what was not a potato. What was a potato, what was not a potato. They didn't leave it all in there. So they did discriminate. They did use discernment and wisdom in pulling out all those things that shouldn't be there and allow the potatoes to run through. This is discernment, right? Just like the workers that separated the rocks and snakes from the conveyors, we too must be able to identify what is the fruit of the Spirit and what is not the fruit of the Spirit. So we can keep one and discard the other. It is discrimination and it is discernment and we should practice that type of discrimination in our own lives and discernment of this nature. We aren't to... Just tolerate those things in our lives and think that we are so noble and just, quote-unquote, real. Now, the reality of things is that we're told the truth and we ought to walk in the truth. Notice that we are not referring to fruits, and that is plural. You know, sometimes we refer to the fruit of the Spirit as the fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural, it's singular, and that's what, the, if you look at the original and you take a look at what we have here before us, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's the fruit of the Spirit, just singular. It's kind of like a cluster of grapes that is produced on a grapevine. It is produced from one source, and it comes from abiding in the vine, as described in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine. Who is speaking? Jesus is speaking. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have that picture, and we we know that the Apostle Paul is talking about producing this, this fruit. 
And so the only way that we can produce any fruit is to simply abide in Christ. And, and it is not any single ounce of effort that produce, on our part that produces this fruit. It's simply abiding. What that means is we trust, we submit to, we surrender, we're governed by. We just lean on and cling to the Lord. And he's the one that produces this fruit in our lives. It's wonderful. It takes a big load off of our shoulders, doesn't it? It's a weight that we don't have to carry. It's like trying to muster up strength to produce something we can never produce in our own strength. We just can't. What we do is we, we surrender, we give in to, we cling to, we trust, we have faith in. We walk according to the Spirit, and, and the Lord produces this fruit in our lives. The love that is described here is not a brotherly love, phileo, or a romantic love, eros, or even a family type of love, storge, but rather a love that will disregard all external circumstances, even if the circumstances are against the one who is, is expressing the love towards someone else. That's, that's a tough kind of love. That. You know, it's easy to love someone who is loving you. It's easy to pay back someone who has done something for you. Someone who is kind and really easygoing, right? But this is a different type of love. This love is agape love, and this is an exercise of the will. Even if the emotions or heart is hurt and leading to reject, this love applies. This type of love is what God demonstrated toward us when Jesus went to the cross. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he didn't, if he would have waited until everyone had a heart for him and was completely given to him, uh, guess what? We would still be waiting. We would still be waiting. So what this is saying is that even while we were still his enemies, even when we were still breathing contempt and seething with opposition toward him, the Father sent the Son to die on the cross on your behalf. And that's the type of love that this is. This is the type of love that should reflect those who follow the Lord, who claim to be children of God, surrender to Christ, Christians. Even knowing those whom Jesus died for were his enemies, he willingly, and this is, was an exercise of the will, he willingly chose to die for us. That is agape love. And this is what agape love looks like. Works of the flesh are a counterfeit type of love. And in fact, that's what we saw last week. Always promising something that only God's love can come through with in our own lives. But here is the fruit of the Spirit. Let's start off with joy. Kara. It is not a result of something we've earned or a result of our external circumstances, but something we possess in the Lord, and it benefits others. Uh, this joy comes from the hope and gladness of the heart, 
we have in Christ. And it transcends our circumstances. Do you know anyone named Kara or Kara? Do you? I, I do. It means joy. That's what it means. And it's actually a common name in, in biblical days, in the time of Jesus. So they knew it very well. Uh, to be named Joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a different type of joy. It's not happiness. It's, it has nothing to do with external circumstances. You know, the, the, the place where you are in life, how good things are, it doesn't matter. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It has to do with a certain hope we have in Christ. And no one can take that away. The strength that is expressed through difficult circumstances is the joy of the Lord. We're reminded of that often. Peace. Do we have an Irene in the house? Peace. Irene. This means something different depending on who you ask, though. But if you ask God, peace is found only in Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is, uh, you know, we, we went through this, uh, we're going through this book with the leadership, and, and uh, one of the things that was brought up was that um, certain words mean, you know, if you ask uh, several people, multiple people, what the definition of that word is, you'll get many different answers. Really, we should go to the Word of God and realize that that is where the definition of these words belong. And if you ask the Lord, we know that Peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. Peace, peace with God means reconciled and right before Him, even when the world around you has fallen apart. You can have a peace that surpasses all understanding when your hope and heart is settled in Jesus Christ and not in anything or anyone else. It can be settled. That's why the Apostle Paul, even though he experienced and went through so much, he could write these words to the Philippians in the Spirit. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right? That's why he could, he could write those words, because it was a truth, and it is the truth. It is God's word. This type of peace is the fruit of the Spirit and is therefore defined as quietness of the heart that comes from the knowledge and an awareness of a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Salvation, in other words, to know salvation is, is to know this type of peace. And again, this is something that no one or no thing can take away. Patience is another part of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Oh, patience. Anyone named Patience? Is Patience testing you? Are you being tested in your patience? Annoyance, frustration, and irritation are all signals that Patience is not being exercised. Right? Or at least it's testing it. I realize that we shouldn't have Patience with some things. 
But we ought to be patient toward each other, just like God is with us. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God, uh, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's His patience. It's like, when we're so anxious to um, just, uh, you know, in the same breath that we say, Oh, Lord, come quickly. We are saying, Thank you, Lord, for not coming quickly before I came to know you personally. Right? Because God wishes that none should perish that all should reach repentance. In fact, that's what we have, 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, I understand, and, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself, because I can't tell you anything uh, different, because my wife is sitting here. I know, I'm getting it. I, I, I see it out of the corner of my eye. I don't want to look at you directly. <laughs> and so th these are words that, remember, I mean, I, you, all of us are subjected to. And as we're confronted with this, we ought to respond. You know, the, the Lord is doing this work in our hearts, uh, in our lives. It, it, it's a work, the, a work of sanctification. It's sometimes, you know, you can think of a potter and he's sculpting and, and sometimes when he pushes in, it doesn't feel so good and when he cuts away and all of those things. But at the same time, what he's making us into is, is a reflection of who he is. It's a reflection of Jesus Christ. We are better for it and we, we bless others through it. And so patience is part of that. And we are all in the process of these things, of understanding and applying these things to our own lives, that God may be glorified and the flesh may be put away. Kindness and goodness. These two words we're going to go ahead and put together because they go together very well. As kindness describes someone who is friendly and considerate. You know someone who is just friendly and considerate? Well, along with that, there is this word, it, it's, it's generosity. It's being generous with oneself toward others. The fruit of the Spirit will produce in someone a friendly, considerate, and generous disposition. Someone who is ready to exercise it at any given opportunity. It, uh, it's the opposite of, of being selfish, self-centered, always thinking about oneself. This the fruit of the Spirit actually forces you to think of others and esteem them more than yourself. It's, it's not being in a conversation and listening to someone else only to find an opportunity to say something. We do this sometimes, oftentimes, we're in conversations and we're just, and you're just waiting for them like, could you just pause a little bit? Because I have something to say. And some people talk more than others, so you're waiting for a while longer. But would you agree with me? Oftentimes we're, we're thinking about ourselves because I really want to say what I want to say. I know you're saying that, but I want, I, want, I want to say something. Instead, we should be listening with the other person at heart. 
And sometimes what they're saying is worth listening to and responding to and ministering to them. And so we show empathy. We show a true spirit of love toward them in that manner. You see, when we reflect this, we reflect the kindness of God. God's kindness draws us unto Him, and His generosity is demonstrated in the salvation we've come to know in Christ, and with all He has supplied us in Christ. Philippians 4.19, I, I love this verse. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if people are attracted to you, you know why they're attracted to you? It's because you'll listen. It's because you're interested in them. If you have someone, and I know people who are always, they're, they're asking about me. It's like, how are you doing? How's your family? How's this? How's that? You know, And they're, they're genuinely interested in you. Those are the people, by the way, that attract others. They're like, wow, they're really pleasant to be around. Of course, because they're talking about you. Right? But it, it's and it should be that we are actually, um, we are competing. No, I'm going to love you more. Right? No, I'm going to love you more. <laughs> no, really, I'm going to love you more. And, and you, you can go, and that's how we should be competing. Not in trying to up one, you know, up someone else, you know, with, with something that we have. Oh, well, well my story is better. I hear that a lot, right? It's like you tell a story and I'm like, oh, if you think that's good, check this out. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that. We should be listening. And we should be asking questions. And ministering to one another. Let's go on, though. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, this is a characteristic that often is given with limitations. Which turns out to not be faithfulness at all. Right? Uh, what we're talking about is reliability. That is really lacking today. Reliability. To be, uh, can someone count on you? God's faithfulness is constant and never failing. Jesus, when tempted, opposed, and even tortured and killed, maintained his faithfulness to fulfill the Father's will. And completed the work that offers reconciliation to all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. And he rose from the grave after three days. Faithfulness. Our faithfulness is first toward God, but it benefits those around us as we are reliable and loyal friends toward one another. Oh, what a benefit. Can you be counted on? Number one, by the Lord, to walk in faith toward him. And secondly, with that, you'll be found loyal and consistently reliable toward each other. The fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness. Gentleness is the quality of being willing and able to receive instruction, direction, and correction. But it is not timidity or passivity. So don't get those mixed up. To be meek is not to be a doormat. That's not what that means. 
First Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, I was quickly reminded of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy. He said in 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so we know that he, these are the pastoral epistles, and we, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, we, see, we go all the way through. But, but he spoke of this boldness and this confidence. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I, and I wanted to throw that in there as well, because we can look to Jesus, and sometimes we could say, well, he turned the other cheek. He was uh, the lamb who went to the slaughter without pushing back. Um, we can go through Scripture and see how much he pushed back and realize that he was gentle and lowly in heart, but he was not a pushover. Jesus was gentle, but you can't say that he was timid or passive. He confronted and even rebuked those who were leading others astray and teaching false doctrine. He even overturned tables. You remember that. Sometimes we forget that. He overturned tables. Those who were ripping people off. Those who had turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. This gentleness that is produced by the Spirit is that characteristic of a teachable person who receives instruction and can stand being corrected by Scripture and through others, but at the same time has this bold confidence in the Lord to walk in the truth. That's what we have. Self-control. This is difficult enough to practice for the benefit of oneself. Right? We are, um, today, we're going to be challenged. If uh, you, you may be hungry right now. In a few moments, you might be hangry. And so you need to practice self-control as you go eat lunch, dinner, and, you know, you, you have to practice self-control. Uh, how about exercise? Right? And this is for one's benefit. Self-control. Discipline. Denying that which is bad and taking on that which is good. So it's, it's, it's difficult enough to practice this for, for our own good, for our own benefit. But we're not, this is not what this is about. Remember, we're talking about agape love. That which benefits others. This is something that is pra- practiced for the benefit of others. Lived out for the benefit of others. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Yeah, we stumble in many ways, but our tongue should be bridled. In other words, it should be brought under the discipline and control of the Word of God, the truth, and led by God's Spirit. Self-control is, is an aware, a self-awareness bridled by the Spirit that makes decisions to act and not act according to what would bless God or shame Him, according to the knowledge of the Word of God. In other words, it's, it's like giving the reins to the Lord, but it, it is according to the Word of God. So as He moves and directs, as He leads us, 
he has a hold of that bridle, and that bridle is connected to the bit that's in the horse's mouth. And wherever he turns, that's where we go. Sometimes it stops. And we allow the word of God to do that in our lives. If a man, if a woman can live in that manner, it's not that you live in perfection in the sense to where you are sinless, but you are a mature person. Um, you allow the Lord to govern those things that you're, you're thinking about saying, but at this very moment, at the same time, the Holy Spirit's telling you, uh -uh, don't, don't do it. And then you say it anyway, well, that was immaturity on your part, on my part. But when, you, when you're being governed and you're being bridled by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, and, and he tells you to do something, say something, or not say something, and you follow through with that, then that's a person who's walking in the Spirit and step with the Spirit, which we'll learn in a few, uh, what that is in a few moments. Self-control is for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. There is no law against these, is what the Apostle Paul writes. It means that the law or word is being fulfilled by the person who lives in this way. This person is not in violation of the Word of God, therefore... The law is of, of no effect to them, right? If you're driving down the road and you're driving within the speed limit and putting on your blinker and driving correctly, well, the, the law will not be against you, right? You're, you're fulfilling the law, the limits and the parameters of the law. So it is as we walk according to the Spirit and according to the Word. We're living within its parameters, therefore fulfilling the law. And that's what we have. And this is fruit worth bearing. We ought to be able to discern this type of fruit. Secondly, let's crucify the flesh. Yes, crucify the flesh. Verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, this is what we do with that which opposes and hinders the growth or production of the fruit of the Spirit. We subject it to death. We kill it. We kill it. This is what the Lord wants us to do, our flesh and its passion and its desires. According to Galatians 2.20, we have been crucified with Christ. And according to Romans 6.6, we know that our old self was crucified him, with Him. But these two verses are telling us that the power of the flesh and its desires and passions no longer have the power they once had outside of Christ. And we are now at liberty. And here's, here's the liberty that we're in now. We are at liberty to reject and reckon them dead in Christ and walk according to the Spirit with confidence. Romans 6.11 says, So you also must consider or reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Ah, that's wonderful. To be released from the bondage and power and enslavement of sin and instead be under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. This act of killing the flesh is an act that the person is responsible to do. It's an exercise of the will, which means that you are responsible for putting away the works of the flesh and walking according to the Spirit. This is not a passive activity. Well, I guess those two words can't go together, right? It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. At least it doesn't happen without any decisive, conscientious effort on our part. 
Now, sin no longer has the same power as we're in Christ. But we are given the responsibility to choose that which is right. And that's what we're talking about here. This is why confession and repentance is part of the equation of living rightly before the Lord. We choose to agree with God that some things are sin and turn from doing them. What do we do with that which opposes and hinders the growth or production of the fruit of the Spirit? We subject it to death, nail it to the cross. We kill it, do away with it. It, it, The flesh itself can never be made better. It's corrupt. Thirdly, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Verse 16 of the same chapter describes a person who is living life in the Spirit. But verse 25 here is going a bit further in its description by saying that we should line up or march in step with the Spirit. In other words, it's the Spirit that is leading the march of life. Listen closely to His cadence, and if you're expecting to hear from Him, then you will be ready and willing to act the moment He speaks to you. You know, again, it, it's, it's being in line, being in step with. It's a, it's a march. It's, it's a listening to. Um, I remember learning how to march. Any of you um, serve in the military? Yeah. Then you know, you know, you have to learn how to march. You don't just go out there to the blacktop, right? And it's like, ah, oh, we got it. You know, hey, call it out. We know exactly what your commands are and exactly what to do, when and how. And, and, and whether it's the left or the right, we turn, we pivot. We need to learn how to march. We need to go and practice and practice and practice and practice. And I remember going out to the blacktop and having this very lovely man um, come often very close and intimate in my personal space because I was doing so well in marching and explaining to me in such patient and gentle ways how I should march better. We need to learn how to march in step with the Spirit. But there did come a time, and I remember doing this one march to where at one point we went all in different directions. And at the command of our company commander who was calling the cadence, called us to come back and we fell right in line. It, it, was, it was beautiful. We were all really proud. We learned how to march and to follow the most difficult and complicated of commands. You learn, you begin with the simple, but you have to grow and understand as you practice how to walk in step with the Spirit. It takes effort. It takes work. And you have to commit yourself to learning, to growing, and maturing. So what does this look like? 
Again, when you're talking to someone else and the Spirit is telling you to restrain yourself from saying something, you are ready and willing to do so. And when He's telling you to say something, you are ready and willing to do so. The same goes for acts, ready and willing, listening and walking with the sure commanding voice of the Lord. And then there's another warning as we cover the last verse here. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Don't become conceited and provoke, nor envy one another. You no sooner, sooner learn to walk in the Spirit than you become conceited because you are. I'm walking in the Spirit and I recognize that and you're not. So now that's annoying, that's frustrating. and now, Oh my goodness, wow, well, here we are going backwards, right? The fruit of the Spirit that we just covered now... Now you're just tearing it all up again because you've become conceited, full of yourself, arrogant. And the Apostle Paul is warning against that. Don't, don't, don't do that. When you believe yourself to always be right and others always be wrong, you may be conceited. Check yourself. Submit yourself to the Lord. Because the Apostle Paul warns immediately after explaining that we are to walk in the Spirit. And this is what the fruit of the Spirit is, that He warns with this. This type of behavior will provoke others and cause much unnecessary conflict that is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of winning someone to the Lord, you're driving them away from the Lord. We shouldn't do that. So, heed this warning as well. We are not to be timid nor fearful, but rather discerning and wise about how to live our lives for the benefit of those around us and to the glory of God. And this is it. This is what keeping in step with the Spirit looks like. And this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to teach the Galatians. And for us, it's the eternal Word of God. We're still trying to learn. We're still trying to figure out, well, how is it? And we just were taught exactly what it means to walk in the Spirit. And what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's again to the glory of God, but it's to the benefit of one another. That's beautiful. I'm going to close with this. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So back a, a few letters to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in light of what we just covered, I want to read this with you. This is sandwiched in between the exercising of our spiritual gifts. If we exercise our spiritual gifts but don't have this, then we're just, uh, we're just noise. <laughs> we're clanging. We have no, no real use. Check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And that is fruit worth bearing. Father, we certainly want to produce this type of fruit in our own lives. That which brings you glory, that which blesses our own lives and blesses those around us. And we know that it was your kindness that led us to you. And I pray that at this very moment that it would be your kindness, your grace, and your love that would lead more to you even at this very moment. And if there's anyone here who does not know that intimately, salvific, that is, that is knowing that in, in, a, in a way that they know it through salvation, that this very moment, Lord, you would, you would convict them, Lord, of those things that they know are not of you and are separating them from you, stopping them from having a relationship with you. And that through that confession, Lord, and conviction of the Spirit and conviction that they would come to repentance, Lord, and just simply cry out to you and ask you for forgiveness, that you would save them, and you would bring them into a loving and beautiful, eternal relationship with you. And so we commit ourselves to you once more. We ask your blessing. Fill us with your spirit. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.